Bitcoin is much more important in Latin America and Southeast Asia and um, Sub-Saharan Africa than it is anywhere else in the world. And Latin America is probably the first hotspot. So every time you allow the old industry to write the rules, they write them to help themselves. And that's what they've done in New York. And all it's going to do is it's going to slow down Bitcoin in New York um, and, and damage New Yorkers. There are six-year-olds who have never lived in a world without Bitcoin. And one day those six-year-olds are going to be 18-year-olds. And long before they are allowed to get a bank account, they will be using Bitcoin perhaps for a decade. I believe that every organizational system and every institutional system ever in history, at some point it needed to be disrupted because it got too entrenched. So if anything, I'm a disruptarian. Firstly, welcome to paradise. Yes, thank you. Uh, I love it here. Yeah, so have you been to Mexico before to do other conferences or this is the first time in Mexico? Uh, this is the first time for a conference and this is my first time in Mexico City, but I, I've been to Mexico on vacation three times before. I really like it here. Excellent. Yeah, I, I like to hear that people like Mexico and, and I love that you mentioned people coming for the, for the good food. Yes, absolutely. The food here is amazing. Um, just, just walking to the conference here, there's uh, little food stalls where, um, um, you know, just people making tacos and uh, tamales on the street. And it is just, you can smell the food for every block. And it's just amazing. I, I love the street food culture here in Mexico City. Oh, yeah. I, I find it is a good, it's a good icebreaker. Like, yeah. so if you're out in the street and you're eating with the people, it's like you, you get to know what the people are about and, and, and how, they, how they feel. But do you feel like there's um, – I wanted to know whether, you fo whether you're trying to focus on Latin America with the huge potential that you, that you mentioned now in these Latin American countries? Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I think Bitcoin is much more important in Latin America and Southeast Asia and um, Sub-Saharan Africa than it is anywhere else in the world. And Latin America is probably the first hotspot because you have a, a combination of really important uh, characteristics. You have um, dysfunctional banking, uh, dysfunctional government, dysfunctional currency, but at the same time you have educated populations with cell phones and smartphones. Uh, you have a lot of economic activity, including a lot of cross-border economic activity, a lot of trade, both between countries, um, you know, in Central America and Mercosur, um, that that involve cross-border transactions, and of course you have remittances. All of these are perfect applications for Bitcoin. So I, I expect Bitcoin to be much more successful in places like Latin America. Uh, long before you see uh, mainstream adoption, um, perhaps among consumers in the United States. And, and the reason is very simple. Um, we already have banking that works, uh, and we have credit cards that work, and our governments and our banks are only trying to steal our money sometimes, not all the time. So um, people in the United States are comfortable with that situation. Uh, you go to places like Argentina, they're not comfortable. And they haven't been comfortable for decades. And so they need change. They need new systems yes. that are not the old corrupt systems. And so that's why Bitcoin can be much more successful in these kinds of environments. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think uh, the, the whole concept of, of liberty and, and freedom is something that's instilled in the Mexican people. Like It's something that the collective consciousness of Latin America has. And these applications are something that people are waiting for. They really, they're looking for the next 
something that they can take advantage of to, to liberate themselves. Yeah, and Bitcoin is not easy to use. Bitcoin is not easy to secure yet. It's getting easier and it's, it's getting easier to get. It's getting easier to secure. It's getting easier to use. But for the time being, when Bitcoin is difficult to use, you have to have a good reason. And if uh, Western Union charges you 9% to bring your money home, that's a good reason. If your government um, charges you, you know, 10, 20, 30% in order to move money between borders, that's a good reason. And it makes people want to overcome the difficulties. Uh, it creates motivation to work harder to protect your money. And so uh, if you have a very comfortable society like you have in the United States that hasn't had a banking crisis since 1929, uh, we will have one, but until then, um, comfort overrides. So it's going to be a while. Okay, and I, I wanted to ask you what your uh, involvement or thoughts were on the the bit the bit license that um, that New York is pushing through. Because I know it's uh, it's affecting the exchanges here in Mexico, and right. I mean that's just one level of regulation. And also, in Mexico doesn't really the regulation hasn't really come through as heavy as what it has in in say uh, for less of a better term first world countries. Right. Well, re regulation is less and less effective the more corrupt the government and banking system is because people don't even pay attention to it. So if you make something illegal in a country where lots of things are illegal and people just ignore it, uh, then it doesn't matter. Um, I think the, the bit license is an example of what happens. It shows how cap captured the regulators are. Uh, because essentially it's, it's what happens when you allow the old industry to write the regulations for the new industry. If you allowed the phone companies to write the regulation for the internet, you'd have to put coins into the side of your laptop every time you made a Skype session, because that's how they would charge for the phone call. Uh, if you allowed the, the train industry uh, to control the regulations for cars, um, you know, every car would have to have an engineer and an operator. And in fact, that's exactly what the United Kingdom did in the 1900s, they passed laws written by the, the train companies and it destroyed their automotive industry. So every time you allow the old industry to write the rules, they write them to help themselves. And that's what they've done in New York. And all it's going to do is it's going to slow down Bitcoin in New York um, and, and damage New Yorkers. Yes. Uh, but it doesn't stop Bitcoin and it doesn't change the fact that where people need a solution and that solution exists, they will use it. Uh, but I wanted to ask, like, uh, I remember in an interview you, you said that uh, something like a washing machine that can order its own detergent isn't that sexy. It's not that interesting for people. Uh, what do you think will be the killer app in, in developed countries? In developed countries, I think you're going to see um, applications around micropayments. Uh, essentially, things that you can't do with the existing financial system where it's not flexible enough, it's too costly. And in those areas where only Bitcoin can be used to buy something that um, may be a virtual good or service online, something related to social media. But um, before you see those kinds of applications, you need adoption much more broadly because um, those applications only operate at scale. So you have to wait. Just like the same reason we didn't have Facebook back in 1992 is because most people didn't have an internet connection. And maybe at first they did it for email, but once enough people had internet, then you start seeing the possibility for new applications. Uh, it's going to be the same with Bitcoin. I think the, the killer applications in the developed world are the things you can't do with credit cards. And thank God the credit cards are 60-year-old technology, so there's a lot of things you can't do with credit cards. <laughs> yeah, great, great. I, I, uh, I've listened to a lot of your speeches, but I've never noticed that you mention any specific po political ideal or anything. Do you, uh, do you identify as a classical liberal or anarcho-capitalist or, or anything like that, or you just, you, just, uh, you just are who you are? 
Well, I, I find labels are very restricting. Um, I think probably the best way to describe my approach to life is that I believe that every organizational system and every institutional system ever in history, at some point, it needed to be disrupted because it got too entrenched. So if anything, I'm a disruptarian. Um, and that means that every now and then you need to refresh the institutions of society uh, by disrupting them and disrupting them so thoroughly that they can't recover and entrench themselves even further. And that applies to political systems, organizational systems, social institutions and economic systems. And, and so to me, the Internet was a great disruptive force for, for news and entertainment and media and communications. And now we're doing the same with, with, with money. Um, no system is perfect. Any system that you allow to exist after 20 or 30 years gets captured by the people on the top. And the first thing that someone does once they climb the ladder of success is they pull the ladder up with them to ensure that nobody else takes that position. And that happens in every system in society throughout history. It's something that even the ancient Greeks knew 3,000 years ago, um, that power corrupts. And that every now and then, in order to change that, you need to disrupt the systems. Um, now, we use the word disruption very casually in business today. It's almost a buzzword. Uh, the funny thing is Bitcoin is the kind of disruption that, that is real. It's not a buzzword. It's not marketing. And, and you can see that by the fact that it refuses to be tamed. Um, that's, the, that's the example of true disruption. is something that you cannot accept, that you cannot absorb, uh, that will tear up the existing system, whether you like it or not. Uh, you can't put it in a five-year plan. You can't put it in a marketing presentation. Um, and, and that's when you know it's real, and Bitcoin is real. Great, great. Uh, the other question I wanted to ask, uh, like uh, with people... Uh certain people you might call visionaries someone like uh, Francis Crick ex experimented with, with LSD and that's how he uh, came up with the idea for DNA and Steve Jobs as well uh, if, if you don't want to answer it's okay but have, have you ever experimented with psychedelic drugs? <laughs> yeah I wouldn't want to answer that because I don't think it's relevant uh, to, to the conversation. I mean some people may find that psychedelic drugs give them a different uh, perspective um, but I, I've always I've always had um, a, a strange way of viewing things, and that has served me well because where um, where other people see something, I see something completely different. Um, and uh, throughout my life, when I when I uh, experience certain big changes like the personal computer or the first modem or the first internet connection, the first website, uh, Linux, and now Bitcoin, um, the the first moment I I, I saw these things. I, I saw a much bigger vision, and, and I saw how these would roll out over a longer period of time and change a lot of things. Now, in, in the previous big disruptive changes, um, I was too young and not ready and, and not confident enough to, to, to be at the forefront of it. Uh, Bitcoin gave me the opportunity to, to relieve the things that, you know, on the Internet, I was 16 years old, so I wasn't going to you know, be one of the pioneers. I was the, the kid with pimples standing behind the pioneers, uh, thinking that this was all very cool stuff. Uh, <laughs> Great job, guys. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Um, but, you know, now, now I'm in a position in, in my life uh, and in my career where with something like Bitcoin, I dropped everything and decided this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it hard. I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to ride it all the way and we'll see what happens. Fantastic. Okay, that's that's great. Uh, and any final notes, Aaron? I think you're right. With this, with Bitcoin being the, the the true, the real disruptor of, of our of our generation, um, now you know you're one of the first ones that dropped everything 
and, and, and gave everything up and said, this is, this is, my, this is my future because I'm choosing this. And, and you mentioned like this choice is what people are going to, what they're waking up to now. They, they, they can choose how they want to participate, how they want to interact themselves in the world. Like this is a, a whole new level of communication. And it's, it's now about, about sharing this message and uh, helping people understand how, how Bitcoin is more than, more than money, how, how it is a new way of, of living your life personally. So uh, I think many people have, have dropped everything. And what, what would you say to those people? Well, first of all, um, a lot of people will say very casually, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I want to start something new or, you know, disruption is great. The disruption sucks when it's happening to you, right? So um, if you do something like this, if you say, um, I'm going to quit my job before I have something to, to get into, and just take a chance, right? It's like jumping out of an aircraft without a parachute and hoping you find one on the way down. Um, and to, to do that, you have to be a bit um, crazy. You have to be willing to take risk, and not many people do that. Um, you know, people who play it safe don't change the world. Um, and you're not going to find too many people who are not willing to play it safe. Um, which is why I think the really interesting thing about Bitcoin is that it's going to be a generational thing. We're not going to change people who have spent 50, 60 years of understanding a certain paradigm of money and suddenly they're going to see the light and be persuaded by one of my videos and decide this is the... No, absolutely not. What we're going to do is we're going to recognize that today there are six-year-olds who have never lived in a world without Bitcoin. And one day those six-year-olds are going to be 18-year-olds. And long before they are allowed to get a bank account, they will be using Bitcoin perhaps for a decade. That generation, born on the internet, grown up with a world that didn't, didn't have no internet, is now, and we now have a new generation that has never known a world without Bitcoin. And to them, internet money is the most logical, most obvious thing in the world. In fact, they can't understand why the hell you need banks, what a check is, and it seems to them as alien as using a fax machine. And that's good, because in the end, most really important change in society happens on a generational level. So what we're doing today is we're setting the stage and building the infrastructure for the next generation that comes along. And once they grow up in a world with Bitcoin, banking seems like a dinosaur relic of a past age, as it is. Yeah. So it's about changing the world, one world at a time, individually. <laughs> <laughs> one, genera one generation at a time. You know, friends don't let friends do banking. <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> Great. Cool. Thank okay. you so much. I really appreciate right. it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Paradise Paradox. So don't forget, we've got more interesting interviews coming up talking about how Bitcoin could make this world into a borderless one and how it could mean that corporations don't necessarily have to swear any allegiance to any particular nation that could exist purely in cyberspace. So that's an interesting talk we had with Alex Colorado. And we've got a, a talk with Juan Galt, Bitcoin journalist, with the, the things that's been popping through his mind. He's always got some interesting thoughts. We also interviewed Amanda Billy Rock Johnson and Pete Ayer of the uh, Daily Decrypt. Uh, as well as Jeff Berwick, the dollar vigilante, Diego Gutierrez uh, of Sistema D, uh, the, the program that is working on uh, creating opportunities using Bitcoin uh, throughout impoverished areas in Latin America. So those are all some great, interesting interviews that we've got coming up. So press subscribe on, on iTunes, on, on uh, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict, 
uh, YouTube. And don't forget, we've got, we're selling some cool shirts. If you go on to uh, theparadiseparadox.com, you can look at the top. There's a link for the shirts and uh, you can buy some of those. Uh, they look cool, represent your love for Bitcoin, gold and silver, solid money, sound money, the real stuff, the, the stuff you can touch and feel stuff. We've just been at this Bitcoin conference and it was great. It was fantastic. A lot of liberty-minded people there. Uh, but don't be embarrassed because you missed out because Anacapulco is coming up in February. So you can head on over to www.anacapulco.com A-N-A-R-C-H-A-P-U-L-C-O.com and use the use the promotional code PARADISE and you can support us and and you can uh, get a discount. Get a 10% discount for yourself. Come along, say hi, say hello, say hi to me, say hi to Aaron, uh, <laughs> say hi to all the guys. Uh, a lot of interesting speakers there. You can check it out on anarchapulco.com. You see there's like Larkin Rose, uh, the famous anarcho-capitalist and, and uh, belligerent ar- arguer for liberty. And, and uh, the ever-eloquent Jeffrey Tucker will also be there. Um, there's a range of great guests. So um, check it out, anacapulco.com, A-N-A-R-C-H-A-P-U-L-C-O.com, and use the promotional code PARADISE. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.